Good morning. Today's scripture reading is going to bring us back. If you've been with us for the last couple of Sundays, uh, we've been looking at Easter Sunday, as it just passed not too long ago, and what followed after Easter. But now, if you've been with us for some time before that, we are returning back to Samuel. So, our reading will come from Samuel chapter 24, uh, starting at verse 1, and the text says, After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Concludes the reading of this word of God. Let's, uh, let's go to him in prayer. Father, we, we are now quiet before you, Lord, but we are quiet with expectancy. I ask that you would still every heart here, including my own. I ask that you would prepare us to receive your living word as we continue to look at this text. I ask that your word, as it says in your word, goes forth in power and strength and does not come back void in any heart that sits in this place. Lord, we bow down to you in worship as we hear the speaking of your word. Prepare our hearts. It is in Christ's name that we pray. I ask that you would also be with the speaker, Lord, as he delivers it. Father, be with him fully, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I said there were two things, right? The electronics, they worked. And we have a second treat to me. Um, today, someone special will be sharing the word with us. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, he is an elder of the church. Uh, you see him occasionally giving announcements, but I will tell you firsthand he does way more than that. I consider him a pillar, not only in this church, but personally I look at him as a pillar. So I would like to introduce someone you know, uh, Elder Joe Grant Del Grande. Please come on up. Give him a warm hand, please. <laughs> I was hoping Dave was going to lower expectations. Uh, we'll see how you feel after it's over. Well, good morning. Um, as uh, Dave Howard said, I'm Joe Del Grande. I'm an elder here at MCC. Um, and although this isn't the first time that I'm preaching at MCC, it is the first time in a while. 
I last preached here four years ago, and prior to that, I preached several times, starting in 2016. In fact, in 2016, I preached the message from 1 Samuel chapter 24, where David was being pursued by King Saul. So today, we're going to look at that same story and see how God often allows trials in the life of his people, but how he uses them for their ultimate good. Now, the last worship song we sang is called Blessings by Laura Story, and I love that song. And a verse in that song actually inspired this message. The singer asks, what if the trials of this life are actually God's mercies in disguise? Now admit it, that is a completely countercultural thought to the way our world works. I don't see trials as positives. I usually do everything I can to avoid them. However, throughout the Samuel series, we've seen Pastor Lee and Dave Howard. Um, they've shown us how God often allows and sometimes even causes difficult circumstances for his people. Let me give you some examples. God hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he continued to persecute the Israelites. Or, as we've seen, how God sent an evil spirit to torment Saul so that he wanted to murder David. Or, how God the Father sent Jesus his son, an innocent man, to die a horrible death on the cross. You see, these trials that God allowed ultimately resulted in great mercies for his people. The Israelites were freed from their bondage in Egypt. David, after many years, became the king of Israel. And God's greatest mercy in disguise was turning Jesus' death into his resurrection that became the salvation for all that believe in him. So today, we're going to look at this trial in David's life and see how he responded. And can we learn from David's actions, from his obedience and his faith, so that we'll be better prepared for our next trial? All right, now before we jump into the story, um, Dave was telling you that we've taken a little break from our Samuel series. Um, so it's been about five weeks. So what I'd like to do is a, do a quick recap to see what led to David running for his life. Now, the first king of Israel was Saul, and he disobeyed God, so God decided to take the kingdom out of his hand. So God then had Samuel, the prophet, anoint David, a shepherd boy, as the future king of Israel. But if you remember, not much changed for David after that until he trusted God and defeated the giant Goliath. Now, at this point, David was on top of the world. But soon after, Saul tried to kill him several times. First, by sending David on a few suicide missions. But David not only survived, he thrived. Then one day, Saul threw a spear at David when he was in the palace. And when that didn't work, Saul tried to get his son Jonathan to kill David. But when Jonathan defended David, Saul sent men to kill David while he was sleeping in his bed. But this time, David's wife, Saul's daughter, she saved him. Now, after this last attempt, I think David finally got the message. And he decided, I think I better run for my life. 
But even after David left, Saul still perceived him as a threat. So he pursued David for the next four years. And he did it through the mountains and through the desert. But God preserved David's life. And that's where we're going to pick up the story today. Saul tracked David to the desert of Engedi, and he and 3,000 of his soldiers were with him, and they were closing in. David and his men were desperately trying to get away, and they decided to hide in one of the caves in the area. Now, while they were hiding in the back of the cave, David prayed. And if you want to know what David prayed or what he was thinking about, he actually wrote Psalm 142 about his time in the cave. So we're going to read that together. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see, there is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge and no one cares for my life. I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. Now I have to ask you, have you ever felt that way? Like the circumstances of your life were just too strong for you and that you were all alone. That you were in desperate need and your spirit was growing faint and you just couldn't take it anymore. I know that I've felt that way before. And there may be some of you here feeling that way today. Like you're trapped and your enemies are closing in. Now, unlike David, you may not have an actual enemy that's chasing you, but maybe for you, it's a crushing financial problem, a serious health crisis, a marriage that's falling apart, or maybe you're just experiencing incredible job stress. Now, unfortunately, I've been in the cave a few times in my life. And today's message, as you've seen from the screen before, is titled, Lessons from the Cave. And I'd like to share with you the three things that I've learned from my times in the cave. First, God has not forgotten you or abandoned you in your time of trouble. Now, it may feel like that when you're in the middle of a trial, but something I've learned, I can't always trust my feelings especially during times of stress. Now, the second thing I learned is that in the cave, when you're there, it often draws you into a closer relationship with God. And you know what? That happens more so than when things are going great because you actually need to depend on God. And the third one, and this is the one that trips me up the most, there are no shortcuts out of the cave. In my experience, you will often be presented with an opportunity to escape the trial. But the shortcuts are usually temptations to sin. Now, before we get back to David's story, I'd like to tell you about one of my cave stories. Now, did you ever notice that many times some of the greatest trials in our life, they come right after a great victory? I think of Jesus 
after his public baptism and how God affirmed him from heaven as his son. He then went into the desert for 40 days to be tempted by Satan. Or how David, after the defeat of Goliath, is now running for his life. Well, my cave story also happened after a big success. I had just finished leading a high-profile project at work, and it was pretty successful. So as a result, I was offered a highly coveted relationship manager job in our New York City office. I'd be working with our top clients. You have to understand, this was everything that I wanted in a job. It was going to be more money, more prestige, and actually less travel. See, I'd been praying that God would open a door of opportunity at work and give me a job that would be a great blessing to my family and me. Now, this job certainly seemed to be the answer to all my prayers. The final details just needed to be worked out over the next few days, and then my new role was going to be public. I was on top of the world, and things couldn't be going any better. Then, one late uh, Friday afternoon, I got a call from a friend of mine in the company. His name is Ed. And he said, Joe, we know all about the role that you've been offered, but we have a better opportunity for you. You need to speak to the president of the division at 8 a.m. on Monday, and he's going to tell you all about it. So I thought, you know, this might be a good time to practice some of my new relationship manager skills. So I said to him, thank you so much for this opportunity. And I'm truly honored. But let me ask you a question. After I speak with the president, what if I still want to take the relationship manager job? Ed said, Joe, this assignment is so much better. And I said, well, what if I don't think it's better and I still want to take the other job? Ed's tone changed a little bit. And he said, Joe, the other job is gone. The offer has been rescinded. You'll be taking the other assignment. See the president on Monday. Trust me, this job is so much better. So I saw the president on Monday, and he told me about the assignment and how important it was to the company. He told me it was going to be a two-year assignment with no pay increase and a lot more travel. It wasn't better. And you know what? That two-year assignment turned into the worst three and a half years of my work life. So I have to tell you, I was really angry at God. I would say to him, God, how could you let this happen? I prayed for this job. And I thought, how could you give it to me and then take it away? God, I'm going to have to work so much more, and I'm going to have to travel so much more as well when I really want to be home more with my young family. Then one day while I was complaining, or praying, whichever, um, I remembered what I had actually prayed. I had prayed that God would open a door of opportunity at work and give me a job that would be a great blessing to my family and me. So I decided, you know what? Maybe God knows best and uh, he has a better plan. So I thought, you know, I really should give God's plan a try and see how things go. Unfortunately, things got immediately worse. And each day, I seemed to be presented with a new problem that I had absolutely no idea how to solve. And to make things worse, I was working with a very important client who was both unrealistic and very demanding. Not a good combo. And I thought for sure, I'm going to fail, I'll then be fired, 
and I'll be unable to support my family. And you know what? I prayed to God all the time, God, please deliver me out of this situation. But that didn't seem to be his plan. Now listen, I knew I had to get out of this job, but I saw no way out. I didn't want to leave the company. I'd been with them a long time. And I knew even if I found another job in the company, they weren't going to let me take it. I was trapped. But then I came up with a brilliant escape plan or a fantasy, we'll let you guys decide. I thought maybe, just maybe, I'll be fortunate enough to get hit by a car. <laughs> now, not too hard, but you know, enough that um, I could go on disability maybe for a couple months. And I figured while I was recuperating, someone else could come in, you know, handle all the tough stuff, and when I came back, things would be easier. Now you have to understand, in my mind, this was the perfect plan. And I thought about it all the time. I would actually find myself daydreaming. If only there was a slow-moving Mini Cooper <laughs> turning a corner just as I stepped off the curb in New York City. It would be a glancing blow, and it wouldn't hurt me too much. But I'd need some bed rest, and I'd come back in a few months. And you know what? I'm sure God wasn't too pleased with my choice of prayers. But he let me continue to complain. And the harder the job got, the more I prayed, God, please, please, God, get me out of here. And then thoughts of that Mini Cooper returned. And you know, as I thought back, I don't know why, but in my daydreams, it was always a yellow Mini Cooper. <laughs> so now, a few months into the job, I actually had to travel to Denver for some corporate meetings. And of course, the timing couldn't have been worse. I had a big presentation due for the client in a couple of days, and I was going to need every minute to get it done. But now I'd have to sit in all-day meetings for two days, which meant that I'd have to spend most of the nights working. Now, on the day before the presentation was due, my laptop stopped working. And I thought, oh joy, as thoughts of a yellow Mini Cooper with Colorado license plates now came into my mind, Fortunately, I did find an IT guy, and he said, um, look, I can fix this for you, and he promised it would be ready by 5 p.m. And he said, but don't be late. I've got to be home for my kids. So when my meeting ended, I rushed to pick up my laptop before the, he left for the evening, and my mind was racing. I was completely focused on all the work that I was going to have to do that night on my presentation. Now, what I wasn't focused on was the street. Now, if you've ever traveled to Denver, there's a great street called 16th Street, and it's actually more like a walking mall. The walking mall. There's no um, street traffic, except the city seems to run this giant shuttle bus up and down. So as I stepped into the street without looking, I glanced to my left, and I saw a giant bus only a few feet away. I quickly jumped back onto the sidewalk with no time to spare, and at the last second actually ducked under its large side view mirror that was just inches away from hitting my head. As the bus whizzed past me, I realized that I had almost been killed. I immediately looked to the skies and I said, God, I don't want to be hit by a car anymore or a bus. Now fortunately, that incident actually changed my thinking and my praying from that point on. 
Now, I wish I could tell you the job got easier, but it didn't. But you know what? My prayers changed. And I started praying, God, I don't know why you haven't taken me out of this job yet, but I'm going to trust you. And then I'd pray, God, please make this job a blessing to my family and me. All right, let's get back to David's cave story. So when we left off, David and his men were hiding in the back of a cave. And I can only imagine David praying, God, please, please, God, let Saul walk right by this cave. But of course, Saul doesn't walk by the cave. Instead, he stops right in front of the cave and actually peeks inside. And I'm sure David prayed again, God, please, please, God, don't let Saul come in this cave. And of course, that's exactly what Paul, Saul did. You see, David's worst fears were coming true. He thought Saul had found his hiding place. But you know what? Things aren't always what they seem to be. Sometimes the trials of this life are actually God's mercies in disguise. So we're going to pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 24, going through verses 1 through 4. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there. And Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. And the men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands to deal with as you wish. So as it seems, Saul didn't find David's hiding place. He was just looking for a private place to go to the bathroom. What a relief it must have been to David, and probably Saul as well. Now, David finally realized that God hadn't abandoned him in that cave, and that he actually had heard his prayers. But God just planned to answer David's prayers in a different way. You see, David was praying to be rescued from this incident with Saul. But God wanted to deliver David from Saul's pursuits and give him peace. Now, I don't know about you, um, but my prayers can sometimes get pretty specific. And after I make my request, I usually then point out to God um, my 10-step process on how he should answer them. Um, but what I've learned is that God doesn't always follow our plans. And in fact, sometimes he answers our prayers by saying no or not now. Or sometimes for me, the hardest one is when he says yes, but then he does it in ways I don't expect. You know, what I've seen is that as I've drawn closer to God, I've seen that he can change my mind so that what I want begins to align with his will and his plan. So God delivered Saul into David's hands. Saul was completely vulnerable. He was alone in a dark cave, preoccupied, and with his back to the enemy. Now David's men, they certainly thought that this was God's providence and that David should kill Saul. You see, this was David's shortcut. Remember, he had already been appointed or anointed as the next king of Israel. All he had to do was kill Saul 
and he'd be king. Problem solved. He probably thought, you know, Saul is trying to kill me, and I've done nothing wrong. Why else would God deliver Saul into this cave if he didn't want me to kill him and become the next king? Makes sense. But you know what? David knew that killing King Saul would have been a sin. Now, isn't that the way shortcuts tend to work? You're in the middle of a trial, and the pressure is almost too much for you to bear. And then there's this glimmer of hope. You see an escape, but you realize, if I take it, I may have to compromise my values. Now, maybe the internal conversation in your head has gone something like this. You know, it's so unfair. I had so much debt, and my company they make so much money, and they really don't pay me enough. It's definitely not what I'm worth. If I were to take this, it's not really stealing. They're just giving me what I deserve anyway. Right? Or maybe this one. You know, my marriage hasn't been good for some time, and frankly, I'm just not happy anymore. And I recently met this other person, and they're just so easy to talk to. And I just feel happy when I'm with them. Besides, if God wanted me to stay married, why would he bring this other person into my life? You see, shortcuts are usually temptations that lead us to sin. So let's see if David takes a shortcut or if he decides to obey God. So we're going to be picking up in uh, chapter 24, 1 Samuel uh, 4 through 7. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. And with these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went away. So picture this. As David creeps up behind Saul with his knife in hand and his shortcut in sight, I think he remembered the last time that he was in fear for his life, and he didn't trust God. A number of weeks ago, Dave Howard told us about a story when David first went on the run. He was trying to get away from Saul, and he came to Ahimelech, the priest. And he lied to him. And he, did, he lied. He didn't tell him what was going on. And he wanted to get a meal and a weapon. Now listen, I understand. David lied to save his life. And under that kind of pressure, honestly, I probably would have done the same thing. But his fear caused him to not trust God. Even though God had spared his life, and protected him many, many times before. So David's lie did save his life. But, as we've seen, sin always has its consequences. So when King Saul heard that Ahimelech the priest helped David, he accused him of treason, even though it wasn't true. So Saul had Ahimelech, 85 other priests, and all of the men, women, children, infants, and animals in the city of Nob executed. 
David's sin had its consequences. Now, if you remember nothing from this message today, I'm going to ask you, please remember this. Our sin has its consequences too. And as we've seen, sometimes those consequences don't always fall on us. They fall on the people that we love. All right, so I think David remembered that sin and what it cost Ahimelech and what it cost the city of Nob as he was in that cave. So instead of killing King Saul, he cuts off a corner of Saul's robe and then he hides again at the back of the cave with his men. Now when he got to the back of the cave, his men must have been stunned. And they asked, why didn't you kill him? See, David felt badly just for cutting off a piece of his robe. And he told the men that Saul is the Lord's anointed and that God forbid him from killing Saul. I think David's men were probably outraged. See, these were experienced fighting men. And you know what? Saul wasn't just trying to kill David. He was hunting them too. And you know what? The men said, look, if David's not going to kill Saul, then we'll do it. But David had said it sharply rebuked the men and wouldn't let them attack Saul. And you know what? And then Saul left the cave. Opportunity missed. But David, David decided to obey God while the world around him encouraged him to sin. He refused to sin by taking a shortcut, even though it would have delivered him from Saul's pursuits. So let's see what happens next in verses 8 through 12. Then David went out of the cave and called to Saul, My Lord, the king! When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen to men when they say, David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in this cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on the Lord's anointed, because he is the Lord's. See, my father, look at this piece of robe in my hand. I cut it off from the corner of your robe, but I did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I, am not, I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you. Now, after seeing David come out of the cave and hearing what he said, and seeing that piece of robe in David's hand, King Saul broke down and wept. And then he said to David, You are more righteous than me. You treated me well, but I treated you badly. Saul couldn't believe that David, a trained fighting man, would let him live. He said, The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you didn't kill me. Saul must have wondered, Who does that? Who lets their enemy live? And then Saul said something that I think even shocked him. 
He said, may the Lord reward you for the way you treated me today. And I know that you will be the king of Israel someday. And he said, David, please swear to me, when that day comes, you will not kill my family. And David gave his oath to Saul. And Saul left to return home. Now, at the beginning of this sermon, I told you that I was going to, uh, there were three lessons that I learned from my time in the cave. And you know what? I think David learned them too. So the first lesson for David was, even though he felt abandoned by God, he realized that God had never forgotten him. And in the middle of the trial, David may not have seen it, but he learned that God was working behind the scenes for his good. The second thing I think David learned was that this trial deepened his relationship with God. He grew closer to God as Saul drew closer to him in pursuit. And he realized that when his strength was gone, his only choice was to rely on God's strength. And David realized that he could trust God in all circumstances. Now, it's unfortunate, but when things are going well in my life, I tend to forget about God. See, when I can do things in my own strength and my own abilities, I don't always rely on God. Now, the third lesson David learned was that he realized that the temptation to do it the world's way and to take a shortcut was sin. Even though it was going to bring him immediate relief and everyone around him, the world around him, was telling him, take matters into your own hands, David decided to obey God, and he did what was right, no matter the world's consequences. And he learned that the trials of this life can not only bring us closer to God, but they're often God's mercies in disguise. I think God used this difficult trial in David's life to strengthen his faith, to draw him into a closer relationship with God, and to teach God, David to obey God especially when times are tough and the world offers an ungodly escape. And you know what? These lessons prepared David for future trials in his life and for his future as the king of Israel. Now, I wish I could tell you that Saul stopped pursuing David, but not long after this, Saul chased him again and for years. And we're going to read about those and, and hear about those stories in the coming weeks as we continue to go through First and Second Samuel. And we'll see how David eventually does become the king of Israel. But you know what? It wasn't a happily ever after life for David. David accomplished many great things for God, but he also had other cave events in his life. And unfortunately, David actually did take some shortcuts in his life, and those sins had a tragic impact on his family, on the nation of Israel, and on him. So the next time that sin is crouching at our door, and we're considering taking a shortcut, again, I want to repeat this. Remember, our sins don't only affect us. I want you to look around who's next to you and remember that your sins, my sins, they affect your spouses your children, your parents, 
your church family, and others in your life. Remember that. I love the story of David. The Bible calls David a man after God's own heart. And you know what this story reminds me of? That even a man after God's own heart must follow God every day and with every decision. And when we sin against God, and we will, and we do, we can go to our Father in heaven to ask for forgiveness. Now, the best part is God will forgive our sins, not because we deserve forgiveness or because he'll turn a blind eye and, and pretend it didn't happen. He will forgive us because he sent his son Jesus to shed his blood and die on a cross, to pay the penalty for our sins. Now, if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus' free gift of salvation, then today is the day to make that decision. I don't want to sound morbid, but you know what? None of us knows what awaits us when we walk out those doors this afternoon. And I know that most people think about, you know, I'm a good person. I'm good enough, and I think I'm acceptable to God. And I probably even earned my way to heaven because of all of my righteous acts. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It also says the wages of sin is death. So what we earn through our sin is death. So we've all sinned, and the consequences of our sin is eternal death. But you know what? Jesus offers another way. He is taking our punishment for all of our sins, even though he never committed one sin. And if we believe in him, if we ask for forgiveness and we follow him, Jesus will forgive our sins. Amen. So you might be wondering, how did my work story end? Well, that two-year assignment, as I said, lasted about three and a half years, and that job took its toll on me, physically and emotionally. But you know what? I learned a lot of things that actually helped me later in my career. Most of all, it strengthened my prayer life and my relationship with God. See, I quickly realized that I couldn't do this job on my own, and I had to depend on God. And like I said, each day I seemed to be presented with a new problem, and I had no idea how to solve it. But as I turned to prayer, something happened. I'd close my door after a problem arose, and I'd cry out to God for help. And I can't tell you how many times while sitting in my office, I'd get an email, or a phone call, or a knock at my door and a solution seemed to be dropped into my lap. It got to the point that whenever a problem came up, I'd sort of laugh and say, all right, God, let's see how you're gonna fix this one. So the assignment has ended and several months have passed and I was looking back and I did see some positive things. But frankly, I still wasn't ready to admit that God's plan was better than mine. But you know what? As more time went on, God began to show me how he did use this trial for my good and my family's good. First, that relationship manager job that I wanted so badly, several months after I would have gotten the job, that organization went through a pretty dramatic um, organizational change. And a good number of people lost their jobs. If I had been one of the newer relationship managers, 
I think I would have certainly been one of the first to be let go. Second, um, during that assignment, Sandy was actually diagnosed with breast cancer. And in my job at the time, they couldn't have been more accommodating. They gave me as much time off as I needed to take care of her after surgery. And you know what? They also let me work from home, which doesn't sound like a big deal today, but back then, no one was working from home. If I had been a relationship manager, and I still had a job, I don't think that organization would have been as flexible. Finally, that horrible job taught me skills and gave me experiences that I needed to advance in my career. And that job ultimately led to an, an opportunity that became the best job that I ever had in my career. And it was actually double. That job lasted seven years, and the horrible job lasted three and a half. So God, God not only redeemed it, he doubled it for me. But you know what? It was only as I looked back at the trial and what I went through that I realized that God's plan was, which was much better than mine. You see, while I was going through it, I couldn't see his hand working behind the scenes to answer my prayer. And if you remember, my prayer was, God, please open a door of opportunity at work and give me a job that will be a great blessing to my family and me. And I can look back and say with certainty that he answered that prayer. God never forgot me or abandoned me during that three and a half year trial. Now listen, it certainly felt that way at times. But I now know that I can't always trust my feelings, especially during stressful times. God also used this trial to draw me into a deeper relationship with him, which honestly has changed the course of my life. And I often think, what would have happened if I didn't make it back safely to that sidewalk in Denver, or if a yellow Mini Cooper did sideswipe me in New York City? And it made me think about my time in the cave. Maybe the trials of this life are actually God's mercies in disguise. And I realize that's a tough thing to say, especially if you're in the middle of a trial right now. But time and time again, I've seen God redeem difficult periods in my life and turn them into blessings for my family and me. Now listen, if you're currently going through some difficult times and you feel like you're in the cave right now, I'd really like to pray for you. So I've asked the um, pastors and the leaders and the elders after service, you know, during the last song or afterwards, we're going to be in the back of the sanctuary on my left and your right. Please come. Please let us pray for you. Um, let us cry out to God on your behalf. And I want you to remember that God has not forgotten you in this trial and that this trial may be God's mercy in disguise. Why don't you pray with me? Father God, we come to you today, Lord. Lord, we admit, Lord, Lord we have plans and, and, and things we want to do. But Lord, we want to put those plans in your hand and align it with your will and your way. Lord, for those that are hurting here today, Lord, give them that glimmer of hope. Show them that you are, you're there, Lord. Sometimes it's so hard. We can't see, Lord. We can't feel your presence. Lord, I pray that you would overcome them, overwhelm them with your spirit, Lord. Lord, let them know that you are on the job here, Lord. You are working behind the scenes. And that someday, Lord, they'll be able to look back and say that you've turned this trial into a mercy. Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen.